This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Good morning, peace be with you. This is Judy and you're listening to Your Catholic Corner, brought to you by the parishioners of St Matthew's in Hillcrest in Hamilton City. We're on the dial at your place on free FM 89.0. Thank you for sharing your time with me this Sunday morning. The opening music was Salve Regina from the Gregorian Chants. This morning we're going to be talking about the city of Corinth back in St Paul's time. But before we do that, let's start with a prayer. Holy Spirit, today and always, give us the strength to be patient and kind, to be free of envy and the need to boast. Let our pride be left behind in all of our yesterdays. Let us always be polite, not rude or self-seeking. Give us the patience so we're not easily angered, Give us the strength to forgive and forget and not to keep records of wrongdoings. Let us always look and be delighted by truth rather than evil. May our love always protect, trust and persevere. Holy Spirit, give us the strength to hold true to our love so it will endure and never fail. Lord, hear our prayer. Those words are probably familiar to you. It's a prayer that I adapted for this morning's show from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13 and starts, love is gentle, love is kind. 
This letter of St. Paul is often used in marriage ceremonies, often in ceremonies where the couples actually don't wish to have God present, which is ironic really. Have you ever wondered about St. Paul's letters? What inspired him to write them apart from wanting to spread God's word? You've probably noticed that some of St. Paul's letters are quite hard going. In some, he's like a school teacher telling off his pupils, whereas in others, he's friendly rather than scolding and dictatorial. I didn't realize until someone told me that the reason Paul's letters and recounts have different tones and undercurrents is because each is specifically referring to different audiences, to the different subcultures that each city had at that time. I hadn't thought about it that before, and biblical times really are quite similar today. For example, we each appreciate, but may, but may not necessarily understand, that even cities in New Zealand have different cultures. So it was in St Paul's time as well. Remember, he was a well-travelled man who met many different people. When I read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, the underlying theme I pick up is that of hope and integrity. Paul wants the Corinthians to believe that things can be better. He also wants them to have high morals and be the best people that they can be. Sometimes I wonder whether it's only people like St. Paul, other converts and me, who truly appreciate the importance of living in continued hope because we know what it's like to live in a dark world. That because we know that before that is of living in the dark, without God as a central person in our lives and helping us to maintain our true North Compass bearing, we sincerely have hope for those souls still caught in our before world. We want them to experience life with us in our God and light-filled world. I don't know, maybe there are two kinds of hope. Those who don't know any different, for example, the cradle Catholics, maybe your hope has a slightly different tint and shade to the hope of the newly in-believers. I'm interested to hear how it is for you. But getting on with today's show of Corinth in Paul's time, if Corinth were around today, we'd probably refer to it as Sin City. It was a very wealthy city for its time. It was an important trading link as it was a port. It linked to Athens and it was also a link to the rest of Greece. Corinth was situated on the isthmus of Greece, called Achaia in the Bible, between the Ionian and Aegean seas and above the Mediterranean, about 80k east of Athens. The Corinth of Paul's day was relatively new. The old Corinth, which was famous and powerful in the days of the Peloponnesian War, was burned in 146 BC by the Roman proconsul Mummius. Because it was a city devoted to the gods, a hundred years were required to pass before the city could be rebuilt. Imagine Christchurch not being allowed to be rebuilt until 2111, because that's sort of what it would be like. So in 46 BC, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city, populated it with a colony of veterans and freed men, and named it Julia Corinthus. It soon became a very important commercial centre. With a population of hundreds of thousands, scholars today are divided exactly as to how large Corinth was, 
population figures range between 100,000 and 600,000. But even 100,000 is large. To give you a comparison, here in Hamilton, our 2011 census recorded the city's population of 157,000. So you can imagine Corinth being a city at least as large as Hamilton. However, sadly, despite it being a very wealthy and influential city and being such a prominent center of commerce in the Mediterranean world, it was, surprise, surprise, a place for all sorts of vice. An example of this immorality was found in the temple of Venus or Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, which allegedly hosted 1000 priestesses dedicated to prostitution, all in the name of religion. Corinth's close proximity to the city of Athens probably added to the problem of intellectualism. Some scholars are amazed that a church even existed at all in a city of such vice. Corinth was going through its rebuild on Paul's second visit there, and where he was later met by Timothy and Silas, who travelled on from Macedonia. Or Macedonia. It was in Corinth that Paul first met a killer and his wife Priscilla. Both were Jews who had fled from Italy because of a command of Claudius that all Jews must leave Rome. Every Sabbath, Paul went to the synagogue where he sought to evangelize Jews and Greeks. As you can imagine, Paul's preaching prompted a reaction from the unbelieving, the non-believing and the disbelieving Jews. Therefore, he left the synagogues and began to concentrate on evangelizing Gentiles. Paul moved his headquarters to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a Gentile, God-fearing man who lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, became a believer along with the rest of his household. Paul was doing God's work and many other Corinthians were also being saved as well and were baptized. It was during this time God appeared to Paul in a vision, assuring him that there were many more souls to be saved in Corinth and that he was not to fear. Instead, Paul was to speak out boldly and not hold back. Reading Paul's letters, it's obvious that he took God's word to heart and quite literally because, in my opinion at least, no one can accuse Paul of being tactful, wishy-washy or timid. Paul's ministry in Corinth lasted about 18 months to two years, which was somewhat longer than other cities he'd visited. From Corinth, Paul set out for Syria with his friends Priscilla and Achilla. On reaching Ephesus, Paul ministered for a short time, promising to return if the Lord willed. It appears he and Priscilla and Achilla stayed in Syria because Paul journeyed on to Caesarea, Jerusalem and Antioch alone. After strengthening the churches in Asia Minor, Paul returned to Ephesus for a more, much more extensive ministry. He stayed in Ephesus teaching the school of Tyrannus for two years. It was while in Ephesus that Paul seemed to have received unfavorable reports about the Corinthian church, and it was this which prompted him to write his letters. The New Testament preserves two of these letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and makes reference to at least one other lost letter, being the first letter of the Corinthians in chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. In this letter, Paul implores them to be wary of whom they associated and befriended. Here's what he has to say in chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. 
not at all referring to the immoral of this world or the greedy and the and robbers or idolaters for you would then have to leave the world but i now write to you not to associate with anyone named a brother if he is immoral greedy idolater a slanderer a drunkard or a robber not even to eat with such person what St. Paul was advising back then isn't really too dissimilar to what we need to remember today, is it? That's something to ponder during this music break. Armies speak the languages of humans and of angels But if I didn't have love, I would be Setting all those secrets and all the faiths to move the mountains, but without love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love isn't jealous, love is not conceited, love isn't proud, love isn't selfish, love.
Welcome back. That was Kasia Azek, a Polish singer-songwriter born in Gdansk, singing St. Paul's Hymn to Love. And this is Julie, and you're listening to Your Catholic Corner, brought to you by the parishioners of St. Matthew's in Hillcrest, Hamilton City, on the dial at 89.0, free FM at your place. This morning we're chatting about St. Paul and some of the history behind his letters to the Corinthians. So let's continue. There's general consensus among scholars that 1 Corinthians was written by the important early Christian missionary Paul of Tarsus. In late 56 or early 57 AD, Paul was in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. From there, writing with his collaborator Sothenus, he addressed a series of letters to the Greek city of Corinth, which he had visited between 50 and 52 AD and where he had converted both Jews and Gentiles to the Christian faith. As I've already mentioned, Corinth's prosperity brought with it pagan hedonism and had a reputation widespread throughout the ancient world for sexual license. Paul's letters to the Christians at Corinth addressed his concerns about the rampant immorality associated with the paganism of Corinth. He certainly didn't like how it had begun to infect the Corinthian church and was extremely concerned and distraught for the spiritual health of that church, which he saw as becoming depraved while being deprived of his guidance for several years. As a result, Paul corresponded more with the Corinthian church than with any other communities he'd visited and established. Paul begins the first letter to the Corinthians with a greeting to the church of God that is in Corinth, in which he offers thanks for the faith and strength of the Corinthian church. Not being backward and coming forward, Paul immediately begins to list and address the problems that plague that church. The first problem to which he devotes almost four chapters concerns factionalism within the church. Paul has heard that the Corinthian church has divided itself according to the various preachers of the gospel. Each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Paul stresses that each preacher of the gospel is merely a servant of Jesus, and that all believers should be united in Jesus. The faithful should put aside all their differences and remember that all things are yours. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Paul emphasizes that the place of each preacher is not to establish himself as a leader among men. Instead, people should think of us as servants of Christ. Paul lists various immoral tendencies of the Corinthian Christians. He cautions them to condemn sexual immorality within the church. Membership in the community of the faithful, he teaches, means that the church faithful must adjudicate and sort moral matters out amongst themselves. Sinners must be chastised and expelled. In response to questions he was asked in relation to specific confusions of religious practice, Paul sets forth a principle that has become embedded in church doctrine and comes from chapter 7. 
to the unmarried, I say, it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am, but if they are not practicing self-control, they should marry. So let's look at the first letter to Corinthians chapter by chapter. In chapter one, Paul greets and introduces himself. He gives thanks to God. He extends an appeal for Christian unity. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there is to be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He goes on to extol the wisdom of the cross. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Chapter 2 is all about God's wisdom. Chapter 3 outlines the role of God's ministers. And chapter 4 refers to the servants of Christ and Paul's own life as a model for his disciples. In chapter 5, he wants sinners to be punished and shunned. We've mentioned that earlier. In chapter 6, he wants lawsuits before secular authority. It's almost impossible in verses 9, 10 and 11 to have any doubt about Paul's opinion on many things. Like I said earlier, he's not backward in coming forward. This is what Paul has to say. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Paul devotes nine verses to the Corinthians' sexual immorality. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been brought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body. Like I said, pretty um, straightforward. In chapter 7, he gives words of instruction on marriage, on leading the life the Lord has assigned you, what we may refer to today as vocation, and advice to virgins and widows. Chapter 8, he devotes to food for idols. 
chapter 9, he talks about the rights of Paul and pastors, about how he does not use his rights and the need for self-discipline. This is one of my favourites. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. How do you read that? What do you get out of that? For me, it's all about having integrity and having focus and being committed. Whatever it is you're committed to, be committed. Chapter 10 is devoted to the lessons Israel learned and to always seek the good in all others. Chapter 11 is about proper conduct. Be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ and the Eucharist. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Chapter 10, Gifts of Spirit and One Mystical Body of Christ. In chapter 13, it's probably the most well-known in how I started today's program. It is dedicated entirely to love. Chapter 14, Prophecy Greater Than Tongues and Roles for Liturgical Assemblies. Chapter 15 is entirely about resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the manner of the resurrection of the dead. And finally, chapter 16 is a bit like a wrap-up, a conclusion, and about his upcoming plans. So I hope this gives you a bit more of an insight into what made St. Paul tick, or perhaps what ticked him off, when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, because the research involved in this has certainly helped me understand him better. Thank you. Thank you for joining me and listening to your Catholic Corner this morning. This is Julie signing off. Peace be with you. Armies speak the languages of humans and of angels, but if I didn't have love, I would be a clanging bell. I may have a mode in understanding all those secrets and all the faith to move the mountains, but without love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, love isn't jealous, love is not conceited, love isn't proud, love isn't selfish, love is the greatest, cause love is the greatest, cause the greatest is love. Cause 
doesn't burst into anger. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love isn't heavy with evil, but love is heavy with truth. Love is the greatest. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.